Hello, and welcome to Me Too. Thank you for listening. My name is Gaby Martinez Maure, and this is episode one. This week on the episode, we have Duke University sophomore Betsy Broadus performing the monologue Still Breathing. After we hear the piece, I will be sitting down with Leah Gilmore, who serves as the referral coordinator for Duke University's Counseling and Psychological Services. Together, we will discuss the piece, stigma surrounding mental health, and how to help a loved one struggling with a mental condition. Before we hear Betsy, we want to give a trigger warning for this episode, as the monologue contains content about suicidal thoughts and self-harm. Now, here's Betsy performing Still Breathing. Is it bad or is it really bad? This is how I respond each time I get a frantic text from my best friend from home. A sudden panic interrupts our constant stream of sending memes and BuzzFeed articles to each other. My heart momentarily stops as I watch the three bubbles that she's typing. Deep breaths, I remind myself, it's probably not really bad. At least not this time. No one teaches you how to love someone else with a mental health issue. Your freshman year, you walk into Duke excited, overwhelmed, curious. The opportunities are endless. You're drowned in clubs and volunteering and sports and social life. And you're overloaded with resources. CAPS, the Women's Center, the Wellness Center, Duke Reach. There are plenty of places to turn when you're the one struggling. Sometimes it seems like even too many. But what if you're not the one struggling? What if it's your best friend? And even harder, what if it's your best friend from home, thousands of miles away? No one warns you what it's like when it gets really bad. When you're in your room, minding your own business, and you see your phone light up. It's her mom. You pick up the phone, as practically your second mom, she calls you all the time. But today, she tells you that they're all in the hospital. Your heart starts beating a million miles an hour and you want to hang up. Over your own breathing, you only hear bits and pieces of what's on the other line. Slit her wrists. A lot of blood. Still breathing. On an IV might have to leave school. Wish you were here. And all of a sudden, your ears are ringing and your heart is racing and your vision's blurry and you can't breathe. And everything goes black. It was really bad this time. No one tells you about the guilt The guilt because you accidentally missed her last phone call before the attempt. The guilt because of that stupid fight that you got into in the first place. The guilt because you can't afford to get on a flight to go see her. The guilt, the shame, the feeling that at the end of the day you played a part in this and it might have been your fault and there's nothing that you can do. You weren't there for her enough. You didn't visit her enough. You didn't love her well enough, didn't tell her that she was loved. You didn't show her that life is meaningful and worth living and has so much more to offer than college, loneliness, and depression. I'd seen the warning signs since high school. 
all of them. The text messages about how life is too hard, how there were scissors in her desk and belts in her closet, how she didn't trust herself, the comments about how she didn't think she'd make it to age 25, the jokes about how easy it would be to kill herself. So I called her parents, I told my parents, I called her school, I told her roommates, her ex-boyfriend. Everyone knew. She was in therapy. I did everything I thought was humanly possible to prevent this from happening. But I didn't. It happened. It got really bad. And was I the one who let it happen? And only by some stroke of God did her roommate find her to call 911. Or else this would be a eulogy. No one tells you that you may burst into tears at any given time. Like while you're out at sushi with all your friends because they all ordered crunchy rolls. She loves crunchy rolls. No one warns you about how your friends will respond when you tell them. As I'm sure you can imagine, it's pretty uncomfortable to say, yeah, my best friend attempted suicide, but will you pass me the soy sauce? The typical response was an awkward, I'm so sorry, with fleeting eye contact and maybe a hug or a hand on my shoulder. My friends didn't know how to support me and help me because they don't even know her. So you feel alone, you feel isolated, you feel choked by this trauma that didn't even happen to you. So you cry and you grieve and a dark cloud follows you around for months and months, reminding you of what happened. You want to tell her how much this is affecting you every single day, but you can't because it didn't even happen to you. You weren't the one with cuts on your wrists but it's like secondhand smoke. You can still get cancer. But you move on because you have to move on. Because life continues whether or not you're standing still. And it's hard every damn day. It's hard. But you both have a second chance. A second chance for her to learn that life is meaningful and worth living and has so much more to offer than college loneliness, and depression. Because it's not your fault, and it was never your fault. Because someday, the dark cloud will part and remind you that hidden back there, all this time, was the sun. Because she's still breathing, and you're still breathing. Now I'd like to welcome Leah to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So Leah, I just wanted to start by asking you to introduce yourself and kind of tell us about your background with mental health. Okay, sure. Well, my, my full name is Leadin Gilmore, and I currently work at CAPS. I've worked at CAPS for the last seven years now. Mm-hmm. And before that, I was actually in the emergency room. I'm a clinical social worker. So in the emergency room, I, was, I helped um, 
people who were feeling suicidal or homicidal mm-hmm. get to a safe place. And I did that for a couple of years. And before that, I did a lot of community mental health. Wow. So I've been in the field for 20, 30 years now. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you for everything that you do. Well, thank um, you. So just as a starting point, I just wanted to hear your take on the monologue. What was what were your initial reactions? Okay. Well, I was very impressed with it. I was very impressed with the young, the author's bravery and, and really, really impressed with her her lack of judgment and her the, the way in which she was able to love and care for her friend throughout some diffi- really difficult times. And I think that was what I was most blown away with, you know? Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Not a lot of people have that love and unconditional support. Right. And you get a sense, too, that there's multiple things happening. There's the friend from far away who's really suffering and probably having to take a leave from her college and um, has, you know, it sounds like almost nearly died. Mm -hmm. Um, So there, and, and the family's reaction to that. And so there's that pain and suffering with that individual, with her friend here at Duke, and with that, that person's family, and sort of what it's like to deal with what sounds like chronic mental illness of depression. And then there's the other thing that's sort of unsaid, which is how it is for the young, the the Duke student who's trying to go to school at Duke, trying to eat sushi with her friends, <laughs> um, just be a regular undergraduate, and really have this <clears throat> this kind of heavy thing pulling at at the back of her brain all the time. And and I would I wish that that were unique, but I, I since I work at Caps, I know that. Lots of students carry around lots of complicated emotions that they're trying to make room for while they're also trying to go to organic chemistry and yeah. have some kind of social life. So, And it's interesting how a lot of the resources are usually geared at the person who's suffering. Absolutely. But this monologue touches upon the fact that there's also a second degree of people who are also being affected by the mental issue, but it's not theirs personally and so maybe they don't have the same amount of resources yeah absolutely and and that in doing a little bit of thinking about meeting with you today I sort of googled what's out there yeah. for dealing with a friend with suicide and I granted I only looked at the first page but everything that comes up is how to help a friend who's feeling suicidal and sort of the steps you can take and that's all really important and, it, and it's probably important you know, it, it, it probably saves a lot of lives, and yet there's not a lot written about what it's like to be that friend, you know, and and th- those are really complicated emotions, what she talks about, about feeling guilt, wondering whether she contributed to that, you know, feeling like she wishes she could be there, yeah. and yet wanting to be part of her, her stay present in her own life, too, and that, that, that may be the next thing that we need to talk about as a society. You know, because you're right, the emphasis is on the person who's suffering, where it should be, but it also kind of has to be on the person who's dealing with it, too, if you know what I mean. No, absolutely. I mean, both of those individuals' feelings are as valid as the other ones, right? So we should focus as much on the friend helping as with the person suffering. Yeah, and I think she said it really well when she said, you could still get cancer from secondary smoke. Yeah, that was right? a really powerful line of right. the monologue. Yeah. 
And that, that's true. I mean, really, the person more likely to get cancer is the one who's, who's purposely smoking. But, but there are really debilitating effects of trying, trying to help someone who's really yeah. m- maybe, maybe sometimes can't be helped, right? Absolutely. What have been some resources that you've uh, shared with people who have been going through this, who have been the friend or the loved one? Is there a set of resources or is it uh-huh. more of a mentality change that needs to happen? Okay. What are the steps for the friends? Okay. Well, there are a couple things, you know, and I think it might be a good time to talk about a Duke student that that I know and that you know as well, who <laughs> gave us permission to tell a little bit of her story. Yes. Her name's Mackenzie. Mm-hmm. She's a senior this year, and her freshman year, her sister died by suicide. Yes. And, and of course, I'm sure, I didn't know her at that time, but that was devastating for her. And she's taken that and turned it into something to try to help people. So she she started a, a nonprofit group called My Team. It's um, myteam.org. Mm-hmm. That's the website. Yeah. And she um, has on there actually great lists of things that she's gathered from evidence-based um, research on really what, what to do if a friend is thinking about suicide, if a friend's attempted suicide. It even has like some sort of CPR yeah. resources on there if you happen to find a friend who's unconscious. It's incredible what she's doing, and she has developed this very um, full and incredible resource yeah. for very geared towards the friend, um, right. someone who, or the friend or the loved one, someone who's helping someone who's struggling, not specifically mm-hmm. the person who's struggling. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that's. It's very helpful in going forward. You know, very sad that it it didn't help her sister. Yeah. You know, but that that's something that we can all we can take what she's done and and created and and hopefully save some lives going forward. So that said, so some resources is fortunately or unfortunately, people who are suffering from suicidal thoughts don't necessarily act on them the second they have them, mm-hmm. right? There's kind of a buildup or or there's um, many years or months or mm-hmm. weeks of dealing with, with this before someone actually attempts suicide. And in that, if you're attuned, you can hear some cries for help, as, as the student in the monologue yeah. did. You know, she heard, she saw the text messages. She heard the references to not, not knowing how long she could live. And she did kind of what the website would tell her to do. She got that friend connected to resources mm-hmm. and got help and, and told people, right? Because I think the important thing is not to keep it a secret. You know, yeah. There's nothing helpful about keeping suicidal thoughts a secret, right? And similarly, I think that we're afraid to ask people, are you feeling suicidal? Yeah. Because we think, oh, if, if I say that, that's going to give them an idea. But the research doesn't show that. The research says... Mm actually go ahead and ask, you know, because people will tell you the truth. And and people are kind of relieved to be asked that question. Because to know it's, that someone's noticing. Mm-hmm. Or, and it's a taboo. They're afraid mm-hmm. to talk about it, you know, particularly in a place like Duke, mm-hmm. you know. We don't talk about having those deep feelings. Yeah. So if somebody asks you, then that's an invitation, you know, to answer honestly. And then there's kind of a difference, you know. Some I think we all, at some point in our lives or at some moment in our lives, have felt that life wasn't worth living or questioned about that. But there's a big difference between and I'm planning to go 
do something about it, right? Definitely. So, so to sort of differentiate between a feeling and an intention, mm-hmm. you know, about doing it. And, and if you ask the question, you find out the information. And then here at Duke, of course, there's the Duke Reach website mm-hmm. or the Duke Reach phone number, which is available 24-7. So if you suspect that a student is, is suicidal or, or um, that someone else, you don't have to bear that burden. Mm-hmm. You know, someone from some, uh, a case manager will reach out and, and find out and, and get that person help. And then at CAPS, because you asked about resources, yeah. <clears throat> we have um, walk-in from 9 to 4, and, and it, or if it's an emergency, 8 to 5, we're, we're there most mm-hmm. days of the year. We don't take a lot of time off for, for vacations, okay. but just a few holidays. But, but you could walk, walk the friend in or encourage the friend to walk in, and, and, we, and the counselors will be mm-hmm. able to get them the help that they need. Because it's not the job of the friend, you know. The job of the friend is to be a friend and to be loving and caring and not judgmental, just like this friend in the mm-hmm. in the interview was. And I guess that is a good transition to uh, another theme that we were talking about earlier with the monologue, which is um, the friend and the the friend and their mental well-being. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think the. the um, person in the monologue was sort of suffering a little bit silently, right? She she wanted to be strong, and yet she was inhaling the sp- smoke, yeah. right? She couldn't help it. Mm-hmm. And, and we can't help it. We're human, right? We're not built to be indifferent to someone else's suffering. You know, someone else's suffering affects us. And then I think some of us have a greater tolerance for that, and some of us have a lesser tolerance, right? I obviously have a greater tolerance because yeah. I do it for a living, someone who's majoring in computer science probably has a lesser tolerance, right? Yeah. They just, they're more in their heads and they're, they're just, it's just not their natural state to be. So that said, um, we were talking about making sure that you as a friend get some help, right? Mm-hmm. Some help for you. Again, I, I, the one thing I disagree with about was maybe not sharing with the friends at sushi this is what's going on because i I think that that person probably has really good friends right and and just like she's a support system to her friend she should be able to reach out to her own friends for support right that makes sense and i sort of trust that because she's such a caring generous person that she probably has other friends who Mm -hmm. are just as caring and generous and would want to be there for her so that that would be the one thing that I'd want mm-hmm. to see changed for that person, you know, mm-hmm. just to to go ahead and and speak out more about it because otherwise it's it's a secret and and secrets do nothing but fester, right? So and then of course that person can come to caps. We 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 see people like that all the time, people who are dealing with complicated friends, you know, loss of friendships, loss of relationships, um, friends that don't quite feel right to them Mm -hmm. you know so it's not just about being diagnosed with a mental illness it's when something doesn't feel right just go and reach out for help and when you know you have someone in your life that's definitely impacting you so it's healthy to go and see someone who can treat you yeah absolutely I, I hope that the stigma is getting lessened around caps because people come to us for all kinds of things including you know how to how to deal with a friend like that it's a very common thing and I guess I'll reference um, 
that some some friends can have sort of personality components mm-hmm. that can be complicated, right? They may not be as chronically suicidal as it seems the friends in this monologue are, mm-hmm. but they may be the kind of friend that always worries you, right? You're always worried that something will happen, but it never really tends to happen. Mm-hmm. But it still, you go through the same emotion about it, right? So there's there's a really great book called um, Stop Walking on Eggshells about understanding people with borderline personality disorder oh. who have um and it's very it's told in a very non-judgmental and empathic way and it gives you sort of ideas on how to put your own boundaries up mm-hmm. and how to because i think sometimes when when friends pull too much much from us our response to make our ourselves defensive our response is to shut down or to pull away which is exactly what that person doesn't need right exactly so so it's a, but but we need to have defenses cuz otherwise we we get our thin our skin gets too thin too right so so that book and or talking to a professional could help with setting boundaries while still being available for friends like that did you want to talk a little bit about what we talked about before about the hope Kind of. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So I think that's the one thing that's left at that that that's highlighted at the end. Mm-hmm. And you talked about this before that the sun is still there, right? The sun's definitely. hidden behind the clouds and and working its warmth and magic the whole time. And so I had told you that I looked up um, some studies about the Golden Gate mm-hmm. Bridge and that most folks who um, there are many there's I, I don't have the statistics in front of me, but there, there have been over the years many people who have died by suicide from jumping from the Golden Gate Bridge. And it's kind of a point of no return because it's such a high, high leap that m- yeah. almost everybody dies who jumps from there. But some people don't, right? And, and I think we need to take um, some wisdom from some of the people who don't die. And one of the person, one of the people who survived said, that he instantly realized that everything in my life and that I thought was unfixable was totally fixable, except for the fact that I had just jumped. And so my hope is that this young woman who took the overdose also realized that and that there was an intervention and that she was getting the help she needed. And I sort of take some some hope from the fact that... um, that of the people who attempt suicide and survive, that 90% do not try suicide by another means, that, that there's enough in the experience of coming that close to death or seeing that people care about you and, um, and getting the help that you need that, that keeps you going. So, That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Leah. This okay. has all been amazing information, okay. very, very helpful, and I think it definitely applies to a lot of people around campus and a lot of people around the world and um, mental illness is widespread and so the people who care and love people who might be suffering from this is even a larger number and so I think this is an important conversation to have and this monologue was incredibly powerful and it was really great to have you here to help us unpack it and and kind of um, discuss what we think Mm -hmm. are the main themes and what this author was referring to. Okay, great. So again, a huge thanks to Leah for being on the show today. You can share your own stories through our website, metoomonologuesduke.org, 
And you can find this podcast through our website, SoundCloud, or even on the iTunes store. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. We would love to hear from you. Me Too is produced by Alison McCorse and Gabby Martinez-Maure, and the music for the podcast comes from Chen Sha Ting. Thanks for listening. I'm Gabby Martinez-Maure, and I'll see you next time for another episode of Me Too.